0: Just like you and me, right when you think life couldn't get any better, suddenly in comes a snake.
1: Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now, here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. We're entering
0: into Genesis chapter 3, and I've entitled this message, Where Sin Began. Have you ever seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ? It's kind of hard to imagine. It's like 16 years old now. Uh, it was one of those movies that came out that really had such an impact on our world, and upon individuals. It's a very intense movie, to say the least. Uh, Reviews on that movie, when it came out, were everything from, this is the most powerful movie ever made, to what was Mel Gibson thinking? Subtitles and all? Now, why would they say things like that? When the average person goes to the movie, they go, to be entertained. That's what we go for. We live in a culture that wants to be charmed. We want to be amused. Have you ever thought about that word, amuse? Uh, the "a" of amuse means not. Okay. Uh, muse means to think. So to be amused means to not think. It's only to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Almost every movie made has that in mind, to entertain us to the point of where we don't have to think about anything. Well, that obviously wasn't the case with that movie, The Passion of the Christ. That movie makes us think a lot. It starts with a quote from the book of Isaiah, which possibly didn't make any sense to many when it came on, and the passion possibly left the average person with more questions than they had before watching it. Yet for those who have read the Bible, for those who have gone to church, following the movie was much easier to get it, for it's all about Jesus and why he came. He came to die on the cross. But why was he so brutally bludgeoned to death? I mean, why couldn't he just go to the cross? Why couldn't it be like the Catholic statue inside their sanctuaries where Jesus is on the cross or the picture, and he's got a sad look on his face and a little bit of blood coming down the side? Why did it have to be so brutal? Why was it so gruesome? Why did God allow it to happen that way? And what does it have to do with you and me? Well, it has everything to do with you and me. The Passion of the Christ was a movie about the death of Jesus Christ. The movie opened with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He appeared to be beside himself. He seemed to be nervous to the point of being scared. But why? The Bible says in Luke twenty-two forty-four it says, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like the drops of blood falling down upon the ground. That word agony in the original Greek language means just that. He was in agony. According to the dictionary, it means the, the torture and struggle that one faces before death. That verse goes on to say that Jesus' sweat became like drops of blood. This is a condition known as hematidrosis, which is caused by an extreme anguish and physical strain on the physical body. It causes certain capillaries to uh, dilate and burst, causing an infusion of blood going into our sweat glands. So it mixes the blood with the sweat. Now notice, this is only recorded in Luke's gospel, for Luke was a physician. He obviously was aware of this condition. Yet, this brings to mind an obvious question. If Jesus was God, why was he so frantic? How was this even possible? Was he not the God of all peace? Well, yes, he was. Of course he was. He was fully God. Yet, we must never forget that he allowed himself, he allowed, God allowed himself to become also fully man. And in his humanity, he was going to be tortured. He would be put to death. It would not just be any death. It would be a horrific, a massive, horrific death. Jesus understood this. As God, he was completely aware of every single aspect of what was laid out before him. And he didn't use any of his, quote, God powers to take away any of the pain that was going to come his way. He knew everything down to the last blow of what was coming to his body. Consider what the Bible records in the book of Isaiah, 750 years before Christ was even born. For his gruesome death was recorded with exacting details. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6, he says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from the humiliation and the spitting." I wonder what was worse for Jesus. Men grabbing chunks of his beard and ripping it out of his face are the humiliation of the God man standing there with people spitting in his face. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 52 14, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man, brutally beaten. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us. Like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Pleased to crush him? If he would render himself as a guilt offering. As a result of the anguish of his soul, and boy, did we see the anguish of his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was pouring out drops of blood from his sweat, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many as he will bear their iniquities. Wow. So all of that was all spoken between Isaiah 50, chapter 50 and 53 telling us the exacting details. Yes, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And he faced it in his humanity, not using his God powers to shield from all of that. He was truly like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. He was harassed. He was defiled. He was browbeat. He was humiliated. They literally slaughtered him. That word in the Hebrew means that they literally butchered him. But again, why? Why? So that he would be the guilt offering for our sin. Our iniquity in the Hebrew means our perversity, our moral evil, our faults, our mischief. And boy, have we had a lot of that in our lives It was the punishment that actually each and every one of us deserve for our sin. Could you imagine being kidnapped and your kidnappers told you that they were going to torture you and kill you tomorrow? So they came in at eight o'clock at night and they say, man, we're going to torture you tomorrow, man. We're going to take like bamboo and slide it up underneath your fingernail. We're going to pull, take pliers and pull your toenails off. Then we're going to start chopping each one of your fingers off. Then we're going to start breaking your bones from your toes up to your knees. And we're just, I mean, could you imagine them giving you details of what they're going to do to you? And then how are you going to sleep that night? Maybe not so good. Yes, Jesus knew in exacting detail what Satan was going to unleash on him. And not only would he be tortured physically, but he would also bear the sin of the world upon his sinless body. As you know, there's over 7 billion people on planet Earth, almost 7.3 billion people in the world today. Now add up all the sin of every single human being that's ever lived on planet Earth since Adam and Eve, the sin of the world being thrown onto his body. That's what Jesus bore for us. Understand, that's a lot of sin, okay? That's a lot of sin. For all have sinned all have come short of the glory of God. Now, some people ask, well, what is sin exactly? Well, according to the Bible, I guess you could say in its simplest terms, it's found in James 4, 17. It says, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So you know the right thing to do because, see, God, you know, we don't have to, you know, read in the the Ten Commandments. It's like uh, thou shall not steal. See, we we already know that instinctively because it says in Romans 2.15 that God has given us a conscience and that he's wrote his word upon the fleshly tablets of our hearts. So when we start to do something wrong, we start going down that path and we're going to cheat on our taxes or, you know, whatever we're going to do that's wrong. It's like all of a sudden we get that little feeling inside. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Uh, That's wrong. You know, and it's like, see, God put that inside. Out of us and so when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it you go to steal something you go to do this you you hack somebody behind their back whenever you have that feeling i probably shouldn't say this don't say it because you're going to be in trouble yes that's the simplest answer it's like you know the right thing to do And you don't do it. That's sin. Because God has given us all that conscience. We know what right and wrong is. God's the one who established that moral code in which all of humanity must live by. Now, there are many today that will refute this. And they'll say, you know what? There's no moral code. Everything's relative. I will only live under the moral code that I think is right in my own eyes. Yet they forget this one very important thing that God is the one who created every human being along with everything that is seen and unseen throughout the universe as we know it. And with that knowledge, we can either continue to govern ourselves, justify our own lifestyles as we follow our own ideologies to what we think is either right or wrong, but yet in the end, we will stand in the presence of Almighty God no matter what. So it doesn't matter what anyone wants to say or do. Guess what? In the end, you're going to stand before God because it's appointed for every man and every woman to die once. Whether you're a good person or a bad person, you're still going to die. And then what happens after you die? You stand in God's presence for judgment. And when people say, I don't believe that, well, too bad because guess what? You're going to die and you will stand before God in judgment or we can embrace him. Which is the better thing? Embrace him for the forgiveness of our sins. Again, the Bible says that we have all sinned in Romans 3.23, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Obviously, in life, some people sin more than others. But here's the kicker. Only one sin keeps you out of heaven. So, I mean, obviously, there's some people who say, Oh, that guy's a total dirtbag. I mean, look at him. He does everything wrong. He's got tons of sin. It's like by the truckloads. And then you see the other person. They're kind of like a goody two-shoes, and they're always doing right. You see them. You know, they're driving their car on the freeway going the speed limit. Like, what? who goes the speed limit? It's like, And it's like, I want not go over the speed limit. Okay, that's fine. But just get over in the emergency lane on the side because everyone else wants to go. I'm not saying that I would respect. No, yeah, I have. Okay, it's like, I don't want any lightning bolts coming in here. But the point is, some people do a lot to walk very uprightly and live very good lives. And we know people like that. But even the person in their best still falls short of God's glory because we all still sin. Some is more apparent than others, but everybody sins. So we're left with this question. Where did sin originate where was the first sin and so to answer that we have to go all the way back in the bible which brings us to genesis chapter three and we will consider three points in line of our title here where sin began number one a serpent is loose don't you hate when snakes are loose I mean, it's like, I love reptiles. I love going to the reptile cage. I love seeing snakes out in the wild. And I mean, I'll chase them around. I'll try to catch them. All of these kinds of things. But I don't like being surprised by snakes. I don't like just all of a sudden, and you look over, and oh, he's right there. Okay, whoa, hello. You know, it's like I was climbing up a hill one time when I was younger. I remember getting to the top and pulling myself over, and there's a snake right there, and I just went, huh, whoa. (laughs) It's like, I don't like being surprised. If, If I know he's right over there, then I'll run up to him, and I'll try to chase him. But I just don't like the surprise factor. But anyway, our number one point, a serpent is loose. Number two, shifting the blame why do we always shift the blame it's not my fault it was his fault well i was told to do this it's hey it's not my fault sorry bro it's not my fault we're shifting the blame where did that come from and number three punishment is dealt because when you do something wrong punishment will come so let's look at our first point a serpent is loose as we read together here in genesis chapter three we'll pick up of course in verse one it says now the serpent." was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, they have talking serpents in the garden. So he says to the serpent, the woman says, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in a day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and she ate and she gave it also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay, we'll stop right there. Well, it couldn't have started out any better. God created man and woman, and they were ruling over God's creation, the garden. Uh that was called Eden, which of course means paradise. We looked at that last time. And there they were, together, both naked in paradise. I mean, what what better scenario can you have? It's just like everything's great. There was no perversion, there was no shame, there was no guilt. They just frolicked naked together and had a great old time. All things were pure. There was no sin in the beginning, there was no sickness there was no disease. Adam and Eve were going to live forever. And they had an awesome relationship with God, their creator, because he would come down and hang out with them in the cool of the day. And he would talk to Adam and Eve. There was only one rule in the garden of Eden. Don't eat of this one tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat of the tree of good and evil. Yet, just like you and me, right, when you think life couldn't get any better, suddenly in comes a snake, and he's loose in the garden. Notice how the serpent questioned God's word. And by questioning what God had told Eve, the serpent was really questioning God's love for Eve. As a serpent hissed to Eve, has God said? Like, really? Really? Did, did he really say that? I mean, think about it for a moment, what the devil was saying in reality. It was this. How could this be so wrong when it looks and feels so good? How could it be wrong? Like when some, someone that's married crosses the line with another person at work or somewhere else, and they say, but it feels so right it feels so good I haven't felt like this in years I've been married to Mr. Humpty Dumpty at home and everything's so wonderful now you know how the the single Christian starts dating a non-believer you know I've been a good person I've been going to church and all of these things and I've been praying oh God send me Prince Charming or send me that hot babe at church but I haven't found him yet but I found this non-believer and Boy, they seem so nice, and boy, it feels so good. And, and it's like they really look hot too. That's, that's always cool, too. And hey, I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna go out and have some fun. Others will say, hey, it's okay to look as long as you don't touch. Yet don't we always look before we touch? Isn't that what entices us to touch? Isn't that where every person that falls into sin, don't we always fantasize about something long before we actually do it? Did we not first, you know, think about it, look at it, you know, have that thought in our mind before we actually touch? But I love him, she says, but you're both married and you're not married to each other. You're married to other people but he's my true soulmate. I didn't know what I was doing when I was younger I married Bozo. It's like this one's my soulmate. You know, I know it's right. I I feel it in my heart. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. You know, I feel it inside. I feel it in my heart. Well, listen to what the Bible has to say about our heart when you're thinking, well, I'm going with this because I feel it in my heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? The next verse in verse 10 says, well, God understands it. He knows the heart. He created this. But it's like our heart can be deceitful and it can be wicked inside. You can't just trust that. How many times in your life have you felt in your heart, oh, I need to do this, I need to make this investment, I need to buy that, and oh, we gotta hurry up and do it. I just, I feel it inside, we gotta rush, go, hurry up. It's, if we don't get this, what's the last one? Let's go. And then you do it, and you're like, oh, it was the worst thing I could have ever done. Worst investment, oh my goodness. It's like, or you went out and bought a car that was way too expensive, and you were all on emotions and feelings, and then they're like, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, it's just so frustrating. See, our heart is wrong many times, many times. Can it be right? Yes. But it can be wrong, and it's been wrong many times. And when you come down and say, yeah, but I just, I feel it in my heart. It's like, be careful, your heart's wicked. Singles will resist God's word and date non-believers. Others will compromise their faith as they justify what they know is wrong and sinful some will steal from their employer to make up for their paycheck they'll get the paycheck and say this isn't a paycheck this is pathetic i deserve so so much more than this and they justify stealing to make up for what they feel they need more listen if you don't like your job you don't like what you're being paid well then quit and go someplace else but don't you ever think that you have the right to make up for that by stealing ever some will lie to close a deal I was in sales for years and there's so many opportunities to lie, you know, to close a deal, you know, thinking, well, it's just business. Like, come on, pastor, I'm in the world, it's just business, it's what happens. It's what everybody does. Yet why is it that we will question the word of God when it conflicts with our lifestyle instead of questioning our lifestyle when it conflicts with the word of God? We're never to lie. And I'll tell you this, because I was in sales for years. And I wasn't just in little sales, I was in big sales. I sold millions of dollars of equipment. And let me tell you, it's like you will lose sales if you're honest. So if you're a salesman, you will lose sales if you're honest. But let me tell you this, you will gain so much more by being honest. Yes, you'll lose some because you're being honest but it will turn around and be blessed by doing so much more because of God's hand of blessing and people will trust you and they'll know when you tell people the truth.
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California 90034.